0: Kia ora koutou, and welcome to the Kaka's Daily Podcast. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. This is my podcast that goes out with an email newsletter every weekday that focuses on Aotearoa's political economy, and in particular, housing affordability, climate change, and poverty reduction. We're three or four days ahead of the election, We've already had close to a million people vote, and we're starting to get to the bottom of what the uh, National Party's tax switch plan might actually mean for people. And I wanted to put it into the context of the 2010 tax switch. Now, for those of you who can't recall it, it's worth just having a tiny little bit of a history lesson on the tax and the politics of 2010. So back in 2008, National was elected to government, partly on the promise of tax cuts, but also on the promise of a tax working group to look at how to adjust the tax system. John Key actually went into that election promising or having ruled out a GST increase. The tax working group that went through 2009 and early 2010 had a look at the structure of the tax system and essentially suggested to make it fairer and to make it more robust in the long run, you could engineer a tax switch in which income taxes were cut and another form of tax was either increased or introduced to start with. In fact, The Tax Working Group of 2010, which included various experts from academia, uh, tax practice, economics, um, treasury uh, um, and the likes, actually proposed to then Prime Minister John Key a land tax for income tax switch. The idea was that there would be a land tax of about 0.5 Zero point five percent on the value of all land, and it would raise more than two million billion dollars a year, and that it would uh, then be used to pay for a couple of billion dollars worth of income tax cuts. That was their first proposal. Uh, John Key, the then prime minister, said, and "Remember, this is in two thousand and ten, that uh, the resulting uh, reduction in land prices." And we don't exactly know exactly how much uh, land prices might fall if a 0.5% tax would go on. But Arthur Grimes, uh, the academic uh, economist at that point, but also former chair of the Reserve Bank and um, uh, well-known economic researcher and economist, estimated that a 1% land tax would drive down Prices by about 17% in a one-off way. John Key argued this was uh, too dangerous for the financial stability of the uh, system, given that at that point in 2010, our big four banks were still recovering from the global financial crisis, and they had a lower amount of capital then against all their assets than they do now. And uh, this was well before... Uh, uh, LVR controls well before increases in capital. Banks have about twice as much capital as they had back then. Also, their sources of funding are much more secure. Previously, they were quite reliant on what they used to call 90-day bills, which are a form of hot money that you get from London, New York. And uh, now their funding is much more reliant on local funding sources and more stable funding sources. So things are a bit different. But um, the argument that um, the banks couldn't take it if we had a land tax, I think, was worth challenging then. It's certainly worth challenging now. Um, So that was the 2010 tax switch. Now, this has become quite a popular uh, political tactic. The idea that it's impossible in modern politics to bring in an increased tax or a new tax was effectively disproven with the 2010 tax switch. The government engineered a GST increase from 12.5% to 15% in exchange for tax cuts and various tweaks to working for families. And one of the claims that the then national government made under John Key and Bill English was that this was a fiscally neutral package and was distributionally neutral. So what they were saying was that in this various... Uh, various um, movements in cash from one place to another that the end result according to treasury analysis was that it was distributionally neutral i.e. if you were poor the um, reduction in your disposable income uh, was the same as someone else uh, relative to your income there was no attempt to try to, to understand the wealth effects But certainly um, uh, one of the risks when you increase uh, consumption tax is that you hurt the poorest the most because they spend most of their income on goods and services, whereas the rich tend to save a lot more. Um, So what we saw was a tax switch uh, which increased GST and compensated people uh, in a broadly distributionally neutral way, according to uh, the government then. Uh, by doing a bunch of things. Firstly, uh, removing um, the ability to claim depreciation for tax purposes on uh, commercial buildings. Also, you saw an evening up of the trust rate in the top uh, income tax rate, mostly by removing the top in tr- income tax rate, which removed a loophole for um, wealthy uh, family trusts to um, reduce their tax rate. There was also uh, effectively an increase in corporate tax paid by international uh, companies uh, because they could no longer use debt to reduce their reported profits in New Zealand. So what you saw was a counterintuitive move in this uh, uh, tax package to effectively punish or hurt the natural supporters of the National Party. So... In return for the GST increase, we saw some tax cuts, but also some increased taxes on people who you wouldn't expect a national government to tax. And that sort of softened the blow of um, the increased GST and gave it the impression of being fair. Now, we've never actually had a proper reckoning of whether it was distributionally neutral in the end. It would be an interesting exercise for someone, Um, but it's 13 years ago now, so probably won't be done and would be quite difficult to do. However, the tactic of the tax switch has become quite popular on both sides of politics. Uh, Both Grant Robertson and David Parker referred to the tax switch theory when um, essentially proposing and failing to get through a wealth tax for income tax switch in the budgetary process. Now, this was the one that Chris Hepkins decided to make a captain's call on uh, to say we wouldn't have a wealth tax while he was Prime Minister. But that was the, the theory that was used. If you can engineer a tax switch and you can give the impression that it is fair, as well as being fiscally neutral, you soften some of the uh, political opposition from those who feel who will always oppose any form of tax increase. And also those who fear that a tax cut is effectively a cash splurge, a lolly scramble that will be paid for by the Reserve Bank putting up interest rates. And so you might get a tax cut, but you um, lose it back in mortgage mortgage payments. So this was the tactic that was um, looked at and potentially adopted by Labour. Well, here we go. 2023 election and National have come up with their own tax switch which is to um, change the income thresholds to offset the effect of fiscal drag and to change um, various tweaks here and there on income taxes, some changes to working for families and and also some changes which allow uh, families who have ch- children and childcare to get some extra cash. And the promotion was uh, this set of tax cuts would mean that some families would receive up to $252 a week in tax cuts. Now, uh, the CTU, with Craig Rennie as the chief economist last week, had a closer look at that and found that there would be less than 3,000 families in that category of getting $252 a week in tax cuts, which which, um, made it appear slightly less appealing and raised some questions about whether National had misled voters uh, accidentally or otherwise in in saying repeatedly that the tax cuts could be worth $250 a week. Um, Often uh, the words up to $250 a week were included. Sometimes they weren't. Uh, I personally think that um, anyone who was looking at it um, with a sceptical eye would have seen that not everyone was going to get $250 a week. Uh, And the bigger issues were around the scale of the tax cuts going to landlords. And also the revelation that uh, it's partly being paid for by a change in indexation for people on the main benefits. So you might recall that uh, a couple of years ago, Labor announced a change in the indexation for people on benefits from being indexed to consumer price inflation, to being indexed to wage price, wage inflation, which in the long run, wage wages grow faster than prices, uh, not in the last year or so, but uh, definitely in the long run they do. And that means that over the next four or five years, people who were going to get uh, wage indexed benefits now will get price indexed. Benefits if National wins. Now it turns out that's worth about $2 billion less in cash for the 350,000 people on benefits. So that doesn't seem that fair. And when you offset it with the $2.3 billion in the $14.6 billion package, which is going to rental property investors in the form of the reversal of Labor's interest deductibility rules and the Contraction of the uh, bright line test from 10 years to two years, that uh, is going to mean that effectively beneficiaries are paying for tax cuts for landlords. Now, the next step in this analysis, with four days to go in the election, is to work out just how many landlords will get this $2.3 billion in tax cuts. Because on the face of it, you look at how there are tens of thousands of uh, um, taxpayers who are also rental property investors, so-called mums and dads who own uh, a one or two rentals. It might actually be a former holiday home or a former house that they've kept as they've moved along. And it's true. There are about 100,000 people who have um, a rental property. And we know from the stats at the uh, Tenancy Tribunal for bonds that there are about 100,000 of those uh, um, rental properties owned by one person or one family. However, uh, there is about um, 500,000, 550,000, depending on which measure you use, uh, rental properties, private rental properties in New Zealand. And that means that after you take out the 100,000 mums and dads, what about the other, well, at least three or 400,000 rental properties? Who owns those? And how much might they benefit? Well, Craig Rennie's been at it again with his spreadsheets and has done a good look around the numbers on exactly how many landlords there are, who, uh, how many landlords have lots of properties, and how much they might benefit. And his analysis shows that um, there is about 500,000 rentals and that of those, we know from figures that came out from Inley in 2021, that there were 346 landlords who had registered bonds with the Tennessee Tribunal, who had more than 200 rental properties each. Now, according to Craig Rennie, the average benefit uh, per property Over the five years from the changes to interest deductibility, is around about six thousand seven hundred dollars per rental over five years. And when you take into account that some of that these three hundred and forty six landlords have more than two hundred rentals, we're looking at an average tax cut per landlord of one point three million dollars. And at combined, those three hundred and forty six, so three hundred and forty six people, families, businesses, are going to get about $464 million worth of tax cuts. So of the $2 billion, a full quarter of it is going to 346 people who are very wealthy already. And that's been paid for by 360,000 people who are on benefits. So job seeker benefit, disability benefit, sole parent benefits. These are not rich people. They don't own their properties on the whole, and they are stressed. Uh, They are struggling with the cost of living crisis. We have the most stressed renters in the world. Yet, a proposed tax switch under National in this election campaign would see them receive, on average, $17,000 less per beneficiary because of the change from of indexation from price indexation to wage indexation. Now you could argue that um, uh, price indexation is the norm for indexation for beneficiaries and it has been for most of, of history, except we have wage indexation for New Zealand superannuation and the changes Labour made effectively evened out the indexation between Those on a main benefit, so job seeker, disability, sole parent, and those people receiving New Zealand superannuation. And National are not proposing a change in indexation for those on National superannuation, or New Zealand superannuation. And you may wonder, oh, why why not? That would be the fair thing to do. And also, surely there'd be quite a lot of money saved if you moved to price indexation for superannuitants. Well, this is a a, a, a hot point, because by the end of the forecast period, 28-29, uh, guess how much money the government will be paying out to New Zealand superannuitants, a universal benefit, $19 billion per year. And if you were to index to price inflation rather than wage inflation, you would save around $12 billion. So um, if you really wanted to pay for tax cuts, that's how you do it. Uh, And the fact that National have not done that suggests that they are um, effectively not doing a distributionally neutral tax switch. The point of my podcast here is to point out that a tax not all tax switches are created equal. And it's worth remembering that one of the reasons the 2010 tax switch under John Key and Bill English was durable, i.e. it wasn't immediately reversed when Labour got back in, is because it was seen broadly as fair. And you could argue that uh, the um, increase in GST was not declared before the election, and that is true, and at least this tax package, this tax which is up front, although you never quite know what's going to happen in the uh, creation of the devil in the detail, but at least um, we now know what the tax switch broadly will be. We didn't in 20, 2008, but at least John Key and Bill English did make it much, much, much more distributionally neutral than what we have here. What we have here with National's tax switch plan is a situation where 350,000 poor people are going to pay, in effect, $17,000 each, so that just on 346 people who are already rich, worth hundreds of millions of dollars each, will receive a quarter of a billion dollars worth of tax cuts over five years, $1.3 million each. That is not a distributionally neutral, or fair, or durable, or good tax switch. And that's what is being proposed by National. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was today's Kaka Chorus. My podcast that goes out with an email newsletter daily to paying subscribers. And if you're not a paying subscriber and you're hearing this, this is because paying subscribers have given me permission to publish it, which I'm very grateful for. Kakite ano. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka.